have sewed sackcloth over my skin and buried my brow in the dust. My face is red with weeping dark shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been free of violence and my prayer is pure. Earth do not cover my blood. May my cry never be laid to rest. Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend. As my eye pour out tears to God. On behalf of man, he pleads with God as one pleads for a friend. I'll always remember my first time as a pastor in front of a casket. I was 21 years old and I was asked by our senior pastor to visit the funeral home after the death of one of the older ladies in our congregation. And I remember standing in line at the funeral home, nervous about what I was going to say when I made it to the casket, when I was confronted with the family and their grief. I had rehearsed what I was going to say when I arrived in front of the family. I thought I was ready to go, but then I was standing next to the casket. I looked in the casket, I saw uh, this beautiful lady laying there, and I didn't know what to say. I literally froze. Froze to the point to where it was awkward. What was five seconds of silence really felt like 15 minutes of silence. And it got to the point to where it was really starting to not only feel awkward for me, but you could tell that the son of the deceased was looking at me thinking, okay, when is he going to say something? I had nothing. Because I had no idea at the time how you interact with somebody who's overwhelmed with grief. And thankfully, our pastor, a gentleman named Matthew Sickling, kind and caring, a pastor's pastor, walked up to me. He put his arm around me. He said, wow, Paul, don't you think that outfit looks beautiful on her? And the tension was broken. And I was able to look at the sun and say, wow, that does look like a beautiful outfit. Did you pick that out for your mother? And then thankfully in that moment, Matthew rescued me. He showed me how to just simply care for someone in the midst of overwhelming grief. And I've been in ministry now for almost 20 years. And I still wrestle with the question, <laughs> why do I say in front of a casket? And even as my profession as a pastor, I still wrestle with the question, how do I help people who are grieving? You know, grief is more than death. We can grieve a cancer diagnosis. We can grieve a breakup. Lord knows I did a lot of that in high school. We can grieve losing a job. We can grieve a miscarriage. And if you're like me this morning, maybe you are wondering, how do we help friends who are grieving? How do we help friends who are hurting? Well, there are three words that I want to share with you this morning in regards to how do we help friends who are grieving. Those three words are, we see, we comfort, and we pray. We see, we comfort, and we pray. We see, we comfort, and we pray. 
Last week we looked at the fact that Job suffered tremendously and was in the midst of intense grief. And I want to pick up where we left off last week. I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to Job chapter 2. We're going to be reading verses 13. I'm sorry, verses 11 through 13. We're going to be skimming through a large portion of Job today. So whether it's a papal Bible or an electronic Bible, leave the copy you have open so you can follow along. And we're going to see that after Job suffered immensely, in the midst of his grief, Job's friends showed up. Job's friends showed up. And here we go. Job chapter 2, verse 11. When Job's three friends, Eliphaz the Temanite, Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite, heard about all the troubles that had come upon Job, they set out from their homes and met together by agreement to go and sympathize with him and comfort him. When they saw him from a distance, they could hardly recognize him. They began to weep aloud, and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads. Then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights. No one said a word to him because they saw how great his suffering was. Job's friends entered into Job's grieving at the very beginning in a most excellent way. Verse 11 tells us that they wanted to be with Job and sympathize with him. Verse 12 tells us that they saw Job's pain and they grieved with him. And then in verse 13, we are told that they simply sat in silence with Job. At this point in the story, Job's friends were providing powerful comfort to him. They were being great friends, grieving with their friend who had lost everything. But the story takes a twist. Look at Job 3, verse 1. Scripture says, after this, Job opened his mouth and cursed the day of his birth. His three friends show up, they sit with him, they grieve with him, they comfort him. And Job's response, according to Scripture, was to open his mouth and curse the day of his birth. Job, in the midst of his heartache and grief, started to express his intense and raw pain. Grief can be very ugly. Grief can be very ugly. And it was for Job. To the point to where he cursed the day of his birth. Grief can be very ugly. So how did his friends respond? The three friends that did so well in the beginning of just being with Job and sitting with Job and comforting Job. We'll look at Job chapter 4, verses 1 and 2. Then Eliphaz the Timonite replied. So Job's friend is about to speak for the first time after seeing Job curse the day of his birth. Verse 2. If someone ventures a word with you, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? If someone ventures a word with you, Job, will you be impatient? But who can keep from speaking? What was Eliphaz up to here? 
He just asked Job, all right, I'm about to say something, Job. Are you going to be patient enough to listen to me? What you said is just so uncomfortable that I cannot stay silent. I cannot allow the horrible things you just said to go unanswered. See, what appears to be a good attempt by Job's friend to engage might not have been a good attempt after all. See, I think Eliphaz was not responding to Job because he felt like he had to correct Job's bad theology or Eliphaz wanted to comfort Job. I sincerely think from reading the text that Eliphaz feels like he has to speak because what Job just said made Eliphaz extremely uncomfortable. And hear me say this. If you are in a place of deep grief, your grief, the expression of your grief, which is healthy and holy and right, might make someone else uncomfortable. And I think Eliphaz here responded, not because he wanted to be a good friend and correct Job. I think he responded because he was uncomfortable by the rawness of Job's, or Job's grief. And here's something I want you to hear me say this morning. If you're grieving, please know this. <laughs> People will say some of the rudest things to you. People will say some of the rudest things to someone who is grieving because they are actually scared by that person's grief. People will say some of the rudest things to someone who is grieving because they are actually scared by their grief. It's too raw and too real for them. Going back to when I was 21 standing in front of that casket, I didn't know what to say because I was overwhelmed. Death is overwhelming. Grief is overwhelming. Suffering is overwhelming. Sadness can be overwhelming. And I was standing in front of that casket. I didn't know what to say because, quite honestly, I was intimidated by the situation. So know that if you're grieving, your friends might be intimidated by what you're going through. And they might not say the smartest thing because they're scared of what you're experiencing. So the story continues. Job eventually goes on to have three rounds of conversations with his friends. One round of conversation is already in the book, and we're going to pick up the story in Job 15. So I encourage you to turn over to Job 15, or if you have a smart device, tap over to Job 15. I'm going to read verses 1 through 3 of Job 15. Eliphaz, once again, speaks to Job the second time. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Would a wise man answer with empty notions, or fill his belly with the hot east wind? Would they argue with useless words, with speeches that have no value? I'm going to read that one more time. Then Eliphaz the Temanite replied, Would a wise person answer with empty notions, or fill their belly with the hot east wind? Would they argue with useless words, with speeches that has, or speeches that have no value? Now, here is a sad truth to this story. Eliphaz, in his attempt to comfort Job, continues to not do so well. 
This is actually a poor attempt at comforting Job because once again, Eliphaz has heard something that makes him extremely uncomfortable. So here's Job grieving, who just lost everything he had, including all of his children. And he's also suffering this serious physical illness now. So Eliphaz says this to Job. Hey, Job, what you're saying? Empty notions. Your words, they're like the hot east wind. And by the way, everything else you're saying, useless. You're talking a lot, Job. It has no value. Job, it'd be better if you stopped talking. So here's what I want you to do. Next time you go to the funeral home and you're standing at the casket, or next time you're sitting with a friend who is grieving because they've just been diagnosed with cancer, or maybe you're sitting with your teenager who just went through a breakup, I want you to look at them and say, stop saying empty stuff. Look at them and saying, hey, you know that grief you're experiencing? It's all hot wind. You're just a blowhard. You're really not hurting that much. You know all that talking you're doing about your loved one? Useless. Stop it. And you keep talking and talking and talking? No value. Suck it up. Can't be that bad. Now, how well would that work? <laughs> That's what Eliphaz is doing here. Job is in the midst of heartache and pain and don't get me wrong, Job is saying some outlandish stuff. But friends, when we are hurting, sometimes we don't know what to say. So we might say something that's ugly. We might say something that comes across a little rude. We might say something that sounds very, very depressing. So what do you do? What do I do? when we encounter a friend who's in that hard place, whose grief is ugly. Job 16, the next chapter over, verse one. After Eliphaz spoke, then Job replied, I have heard many things like these. You are miserable comforters, all of you. Will your long-winded speeches never end? What ails you that you keep on arguing? I also could speak like you if you were in my place. I could make fine speeches against you and shake my head at you. How does Job respond to what Eliphaz said? Well, Job called Eliphaz a miserable comforter. Job described Eliphaz's words as long-winded speeches and arguing. Job looked at his friend and said, look what you're saying. Not helping. Matter of fact, you're miserable at comforting me. <laughs> you're not doing a great job. You're making it worse. Yeah, and you want to talk to me about how I'm grieving? You want to talk about talking too much? Dude, you are the most long, longest-winded person that's been in this funeral line. And it sounds like instead of helping me, you're arguing with me. So that's how Job responded in the midst of his grief. He was like Eliphaz and the other two. Guys, it's not a helping. And here's why. Remember the beginning when Eliphaz and Job's other two friends just went to Job and they were quiet? They sat with Job and they grieved with him. Eliphaz had forgotten the power of simply being quiet and sharing grief with a friend who was hurting. Eliphaz had forgotten the power of simply being quiet 
and sitting in grief with a friend who is hurting. Here's something I encourage you to know. If we've lived long enough, we have all experienced heartache, cancer diagnoses, miscarriages, the untimely death of a loved one, a job loss, a relationship loss. And we might think that when we see someone else experiencing something similar, we understand their pain, and we might because we share a certain experience. But know this, do not pretend that you understand what another grieving person is experiencing because everyone's grief is different. Yes, you can commiserate with someone. You may be able to understand them a little, but do not pretend to completely understand what a grieving person is experiencing because everyone's grief is different. So we've seen how Eliphaz did it wrong. Well, let's finally answer this question. How do we help our friends who are grieving? Job 16, 5. Job says, But my mouth would encourage you. Comfort from my lips would bring you relief. Job was saying, If the script was flipped and I was talking to you in your grief, my mouth would actually encourage you. And my lips would bring you relief. Job is telling his friends what he needs. Job is saying to Eliphaz, hey, I need encouragement. I need comfort. And I need relief. I need encouragement. I need comfort. And I need relief. And that's where I came up with the three words I encouraged you to remember earlier. See, comfort, and pray. See, comfort, and pray. See, comfort, and pray. Why do I say those things? Well, if Eliphaz and the rest of Job's friends had taken the time to truly see Job, they would have seen his deep pain. If they would have stopped talking long enough to look at Job, they would have seen his deep pain. Verse 16 of Job 16. Job cried out, My face is red with weeping. Dark shadows ring my eyes. Yet my hands have been free of violence, and my prayer is pure. Have you ever been around somebody that has just ugly cried? Or maybe you were the one who was ugly crying. You know what I'm talking about? where you sob so much that your face kind of looks like a rabid raccoon. You have dark circles underneath your eyes. Your face is all red. And if someone were to see you, there would be no doubt that they would know that you are grieving. Have you ever been there before? It's pretty easy to notice. If you slow down long enough to just look at someone in the eye. Well, Job's friends hadn't done this for a while. Because if they would have, they would have seen the fact that Job was overwhelmed with grief. If you want to help someone who is grieving, hear me say this. Before you can truly help someone who is grieving, you must honor them by truly seeing their pain. Before we can truly help someone who is grieving, we must honor them by seeing their pain. 
I learned an important lesson from a former mentor of mine named Scott Baudry. I posted uh, a really interesting talk, a powerful talk, an informative talk uh, by Scott on my Facebook page earlier this week. And I was listening to Scott teach on grief, and Scott simply said this, When in doubt, say less. When in doubt, say less. You know, I shared with you before that at the age of 21, I was frozen in front of a casket. You know what I do now? Unless I know someone really well and I have an inside uh, piece of a story to share with someone I'm standing with at the front of the casket, I'll just hug them. I won't say anything. I'll just hug them. Maybe hold on for an extra second or two longer just to let them know that more than anything, more than my words, more than any funny thing that I might have to say, I'm there. So I just hug them. Or I hug them and I say, I'm sorry. Sometimes when I have a friend who is grieving deeply, I'll just text them and I say, I have nothing to say. Just know that I'm sorry. Because sometimes I think we have to remember that the Lord gave us two ears and one mouth for a reason. So we can listen twice and talk once. And if you're trying to understand someone's grief, if you really want to see someone who is grieving and, and you're really wrestling with what it's like to be in their shoes, take the time to see them. Really look at them. Really try to understand why they're grieving. And when in doubt, say less. So that's the C portion of C, comfort and pray. Which leads us to ask, well, how do we comfort? Huh. The blueprint for this one is easy. Psalm 23, 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. See, friends, we serve a Savior who walks with us, who talks with us, who promises to never leave us or forsake us. We receive great comfort from Him because we know that He is with us. And we comfort others who are grieving the same way God comforts us. We walk alongside of them. One of the most effective ways that you can help someone who is grieving is you walk alongside of them just as Jesus walks alongside of us. So what are some practical ways? I want to get very practical for a minute. What are some practical ways we can provide comfort to someone who is hurting? What are some practical ways we can walk alongside someone who is grieving? Well, the first one I've already mentioned. We listen. We take a friend out to coffee. We can visit them at their home. But I would first call or text and see if they're up for visitors. And sometimes you have those rascals that are like, ah, we're fine, you don't have to come visit me. <laughs> sometimes we're fine is code for my life is falling apart. So listen, take a friend out to coffee, visit at home, listen, go with them on a task. Maybe they need to buy groceries, or maybe they need to get the oil changed in their car. Maybe they need to run and pay a bill. Say, hey, I'll gladly go with you. Let me drive. And just be present. Take someone a meal. 
in my life when we have suffered loss. It's been such a gift to know that we don't have to worry about who's cooking the next day or the day after that or the day after that or the day after that. Because people have been loving and caring enough to bring meals. Did I mention listen? Serve. When people are overwhelmed with grief, the everyday tasks get left behind. So if you have a neighbor or a loved one or someone in this church that you know they just lost someone and they haven't cut their grass in a while. You know what the most Jesus-like thing you can do for them is? Go cut their grass. Or maybe they're so overwhelmed with grief that they don't even want to get out of bed and their kitchen's a mess. Just text them and say, hey, I'm coming over. You stay in bed. I know the code to the front door. I'm going to come in and I'm going to clean your kitchen. And I was telling about my mentor Scott earlier. Scott lost his daughter at the age of 19 very unexpected, tragic death. <laughs> Scott, in that video that I posted, said one of the most loving things that someone did for him was two of his friends unexpectedly came over to their house and cleaned the bathroom. It's the little things when it comes to service. So serve. Or maybe you need to run an errand for someone. Maybe there's a bill that needs to be paid. Maybe there's a, uh, a suit that needs to be dropped off. Maybe there's a obituary that needs to be taken to the paper. Maybe someone needs groceries and they're too overwhelmed with, depress with depression to get out of the house. Say, hey, forget click list. I am your click list. I am ready to go to Kroger and get whatever you need. Did I say listen? Don't be afraid to reintroduce someone to the normalcy of life. I think sometimes a person who is grieving intimidates us, like Eliphaz was intimidated, and we don't want to engage them. We don't know what to say. One of the hard truths that I've learned in my ministerial life is that when someone is grieving, life goes on. And at first, when I was a young pastor, I would just want to grieve with them, and we would grieve, and we would grieve, and we would grieve. And then finally I realized one of the most loving things I can do is help that person return to normalcy. So if I have a friend who's grieving, I'll call him up and say, hey, I've got tickets to a ball game. You want to go? Or Tara and I will call someone up and we say, hey, we're throwing two extra steaks on the grill. You want to come over? Or even, I know you need to go to the graveside and fix the flowers. Can I drive you? Sometimes I've found, found that it's healthy to when you're with that person who's grieving, don't hesitate to talk about the loved one. Don't hesitate to talk about the loss. I remember working with a college student one time who had just experienced a serious breakup. <laughs> and she walked into my office. And I said, "Way." Well, I said, tell me why this breakup hurts. Tell me what you're going to miss about it. And in the past, I would think, well, that's not smart. Why are you bringing up the pain? Sometimes it actually is healing to name what we're losing. I'll say that again. Sometimes it's actually healing to name what we're losing. I had to visit a mom one time who had just delivered, stillborn, an 18-week-old fetus. 18-week-old baby. I use the word fetus just because the 
the child did not go full term and was not delivered naturally. But 18 weeks in gestation. And I visited this mom with one of our deacons at a former church. And I walked into the hospital room. And in the past, I would have frozen up. Because I would have been overwhelmed with grief, grief like Eliphaz was. But I walked in. I sat down with the mom and the dad. And I said, how beautiful was he? And she just teared up. Tears started running down her face. And she said, oh, he had his dad's nose. I said, well, what did he have from you? I said, surely to goodness, he got something from you. I hope he got something from you. Because, I mean, he, this guy needs to shave. And she started laughing. She said, well, I, I think he had my eyes. And see, friends, sometimes when we're encountering grief, especially if it's the death of a loved one, we want to bury that death, metaphorically speaking, like we're going to bury that loved one, because the pain is too much. Sometimes we need to grieve in order to honor the person we lost. Sometimes the tears that are coming out of our eyes are some of the most glorious and wonderful ways we can say to that person, I love you. A mentor of mine named Sybil Towner said to me once time that tears are the very means that God uses to water a dry soul. And grief can dry you out. But man, if you're willing to cry when it's appropriate, you'll find your soul watered. And when you're willing to cry with someone who is grieving, you will help them water their soul. Did I mention listen? Here's what I've learned recently. In today's modern technological world, text. But there's a caveat. I've got a friend right now who's suffering with cancer. I'll just text him and say, hey, praying for you, no need to reply back. If you have a friend who's hurting, hey, praying for you, no need to reply back. Because sometimes people who are grieving, when they get a text or they get a message, sometimes I feel like they have to reply back. Oh, one more thing I have to do. But if you put that little caveat in there, hey, I'm here for you, I'm praying for you, no need to reply back, that often means the world to a grieving person. Did I mention listen? So we see those who are hurting, we comfort those who are hurting, and then we pray for those who are hurting. Job 16, 19, Job cried out, Even now my witness is in heaven. My advocate is on high. My intercessor is my friend as my eyes pour out tears to God. In the midst of questioning God, Job cried out to God. Now please hear me say this. Often in the midst of grief, the very God that you're angry at, Jehovah Jireh, the very God that we worship, you may cry out to him in anger. How could you? And the next minute turn around and say, oh, but I need you. God, if you've ever shown to me that you are real, please do so now. And it's beautiful that in the midst of his grief, Job was able to say that my witness, the person who sees me the most, the person who knows what I'm going through the most is on high and he is advocating for me. I love what Paul wrote in Romans 8. 
He said, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, just as Job said, the Lord is the one interceding for me. And just as Roman teaches us that Jesus intercedes for us, we are to intercede and pray for our friends who are hurting. But I read Romans 8 because I want you to hear that Paul wrote that the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. Wordless groans. You're not always going to know how to pray for a friend who's in grief. I definitely am not always going to know how to pray for a friend who is in grief. But thankfully, Romans 8 teaches us that sometimes when we don't know what to pray, the Spirit groans for us. How do we help a grieving friend? We pray for our friends who are grieving by groaning for them. Well, what does it look like to groan? <laughs> well, sometimes it sounds like the word groan. You just get down on your knees or you're laying in bed or you're by yourself in the morning at the breakfast table and you're just like, oh, oh God, why? Or Lord, I don't know what to say. This is the third friend this week who has received a cancer diagnosis. Are you really up there? Oh, Lord, I don't know what to say for them. That three cancer diagnosis happened to me about a year ago. Had a friend whose early 20-something daughter was diagnosed with brain cancer. We had another friend in Hardensburg whose early 20-something daughter was diagnosed with leukemia. And then we had a very dear friend, I mean, a very dear family member diagnosed with a vicious stomach cancer. And every morning for a couple of months, I made it my practice to get up and pray for these three friends. I didn't know what to say, except for, God, please, you tell us that in Scripture all things are possible. Please heal my friends. Please take away this cancer. And there were just some moaning, or yeah, there were some mornings where it was moaning because I would just get up and go, oh, Why? Why did that cancer have to spread? Why does this beautiful little girl have to have brain cancer? Why does this girl with her entire life ahead of her have to be diagnosed with leukemia? Oh, God. So we pray for our friends who are grieving, sometimes groaning for them. But I want us to know this. We do not grieve alone. We do not grieve alone. In 2 Corinthians it says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. Please hear me say this. Jesus is our comfort in the midst of grief. 
And friends, I know it's hard. It would be a whole lot easier if Jesus were here in flesh. I think if we had the opportunity to walk and talk with him like the apostles did, I think in a lot of ways it would be so much easier to trust him. It would be so much easier to follow him. It would be so much easier to run up to him and fall down and just hug his legs and bawl your eyes out or me bawling my eyes out as we're overwhelmed with grief. I get it. Which is why scripture teaches us that if we are going to engage with the Lord, we have to unplug and be still and know that he is God. I have found that when I am grieving, when I am overwhelmed, when I am hurting, when I am questioning God, that if I am still, I find him right there. And you may be grieving this morning, wondering where is God? Why did he allow this to happen? As we talked about last week, sometimes we don't know why he allowed it to happen. But I pray you know that he is there. We do not grieve alone. And if we're helping a friend who is grieving or if we were wanting to comfort a friend who is grieving, sometimes my prayer is before I walk into a grief situation is, God, I don't have anything to say. But please work through me. So sometimes our prayer might not be, God, where are you in the midst of my grief? Sometimes our prayer might be, God, I know you're here. Please show me how I can help my friend in the midst of their grief. Jesus is our ultimate comfort in our grief. Jesus sees us. He comforts us. But as Romans 8 tells us, as Romans 8 tells us, he's up there interceding for us right now. So here's my question, HBC. Who do you need to see this week? Who do you need to comfort this week? Who do you need to pray for this week? Who is grieving in your life that God is stirring deep within you right now to love in the midst of their grief? Who is in your life that is hurting that God is stirring within you right now to see, comfort, and pray. Pray with me. Lord, we are thankful. Sometimes questioning oh, that you're there. But Lord, even in the fog of grief, we thank you that you are there. And Lord, we might not be grieving, but we might know someone who is. Lord, I pray this morning that you would show us who we need to see, who we need to comfort, and who we need to pray for. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. We're going to sing a song that I've been singing for a long, long time, and many of you have, too. It's an old school hymn, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And for some of us this morning, our hearts are stirred because we know someone who's hurting. And God is ever so quietly knocking on our heart, asking us to go love that person by seeing them, by comforting them, and by praying for them. But for some of us this morning, we're just overwhelmed with grief. 
And as we sing this song, the most powerful thing you can do is turn your grief over to Jesus. God, I don't understand you. Matter of fact, I'm kind of mad at you right now. Just as Job cried out, I know you're up there interceding for me. And some of us this morning, we don't need to turn our grief over to Jesus. We need to turn our life over to Jesus. The reason that he's able to comfort us is because he went through the cross. He gave up his life in a very grief-feeling way so that we might have life. So for some of us this morning, our call is not to help a friend who is grieving. Our call is not to turn our grief over to Jesus. Our call is to give our life to Jesus. Now if you're grieving and you want to come down front and pray, I invite you to do so. But it might not be coming down front. It might be going home, closing your closet door, getting on your knees. And that grief that's been welling up inside of you for so long, you let out. Or you leave here and you immediately call someone and you say, you know what? I'm going to come over and clean your dishes because I know you're hurting and I want to be there to serve you. But however, the Lord is responding this morning. Let's all stand and sing. What a friend we have in Jesus.